Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. So folks, uh, today my special guest is George Bignoshi, and we're going to be talking about the very interesting subject about the uh, history of uh, dairy farming in the, in the Suquamish Valley and how it's gone through some changes. Welcome, George. Hello. First of all, maybe you can explain a little bit about your history here in the Valley. You know, there used to be so many dairy farms in the Valley, Dutch, and there's Norwegians, and there's Swiss, but then you come down here just north of Carnation, there's this little conclave of Andriale and Maletas and Mignoshis. What's all that about? Well, the Italians didn't like all the water where the Dutchmen were. <laughs> we didn't swim very good. So they were over here. All the Dutchmen were on the other side of the valley over there. And so uh, and some of those were related. Do you want to tell me just a little about your family history? Yeah, the Maletas was my, my grandma was a Maletta and it was her two brothers that farmed over here. And then uh, my grandpa farmed where we were at and he came over from Italy and this is where they settled and they milked cows. My dad milked cows here and I milked cows here. Uh, so we've been here a long time. For folks listening on the radio on this program, you're, you're going to be hear some background noises a little bit. That's because we try to make this as authentic as possible. You know, I've done other uh, shows from uh, the uh, historical museums and wherever we may be. Well, we are actually uh, in a barn. Uh, right now and so you're going to hear uh, cows doing their thing and there's a couple ducks walking around here and so it's all really really authentic so uh, George when I was uh, a kid growing up in the valley I was able to drive and it was in the 70s you couldn't drive a mile without encountering a, a dairy farm in this valley um, sometimes they're right after another but you never went very far without coming across a dairy farm and they're practically all gone yeah, there was probably, when I was growing up, there was 40, 50 dairies here in the valley. Uh, and I mean, guys milking 40, 50 cows, something like that. Uh, it was just dairies, like you say, one after another. There's two left. There's Roots and Center down there on Dutch Row in, in uh, Duval and Keller's up here uh, by Paul said That's all that's left in this valley. And you get down to Monroe and there's about three of them. That's it. Wow. They're gone. And, and that's even after a major reduction uh, through the centuries of before my time, there was even, even a greater number because there were a lot smaller farm. And you saw evidence of those, these small barns, the little milk house, and there was maybe even double or triple them uh, of that number at one time. And they just went on a, a decline where the farm just kept getting fewer and fewer and bigger and bigger. And now they're all gone. Uh, in your opinion, this is all just basically our opinions and stuff. What, what was the cause of all that? Well, a lot of them, it was uh, the guys got older and they retired and uh, their kids didn't want to milk cows anymore. And then the farms were getting bigger and there was regulations. And that's when milk tanks were coming in. And then you were, they went from the stanchion barn where the cows were always in the barn and they milked them in there. They fed them in there and they got out of that. They got into uh, loafing sheds and free stalls and parlors and everything else. And as they got bigger and more regulations, the guys just said, to hell with it. We're not going to put in this stuff. And they quit. Mm -hmm. And uh, these little guys, they retired and 
that was gone. Then you got urban sprawl and everything else, and uh, they're gone. And most of it was uh, the, the second generation or whatever. They just did not want to milk cows. Just Period. because if, if uh, uh, any of you are not familiar uh, that might be listening to this, milking cows is hard work because it's 365 days a year, twice a day, the cows have to be milked and fed and uh, everything daily. There is no breaks. And no. so it was a, it was a hard, it was a hard life. Well, and then the family did the work. You, mom and dad and the, and the kids, they did the, did the work and then as it got bigger then they hired somebody to milk the cows and that's the thing today labor is a big thing you can't find nobody to milk cows and that's why now a lot of them you're going to robots robots are milking the cows uh, and and besides the labor today you got to compete with uh, costco and uh, microsoft and everybody else it's easier to go to work for them five days a week and, and get a paycheck and then milk them cows 365 days out of the year. And uh, they don't care what day it is and they don't care if it's a holiday. You better, you better love them or <laughs> you better not have them. <laughs> and uh, for any listeners that might be hearing that drinking, that's not George and I gulping down anything. That's uh, there's a, uh, a cow here uh, at the water trough uh, drinking. What, what's her, what's her name? This one. This is mouse. Mouse. <laughs> mouse doesn't look to this. Uh, yeah, that, you hear the plop plop. That's not Alcazel. <laughs> so you know, and this is all pretty profound because one of the things about dairy farming and this valley is it was the main thing. It was actually the main driver of the economy here. Uh, Carnation Farms is one of the largest of all those farms. Um, they milked uh, uh, at different times, several hundred head out there. And uh, there was other some uh, large farms. Plus, there was a couple kind of show places that were owned by people that were kind of absentee. There was a couple pretty fancy places that were owned by people that just like to come out here and experience uh, country life when they saw fit. But they had to have someone here taking care of the cows for them when they were gone. So some of the uh, farms like that, not all of them were dairies, but Boeing's had a farm out here in Fall City. And then there was Carnation Farms, as we uh, described, and, and others. So. Carnation was the farms was known worldwide. They were one of the most famous farms in the country. They sold bulls all over the world in South America, every place. Uh, and uh, I never thought that they would be gone, but uh, they're through Boeing's had Guernsey's and uh, Hollywood Farms in Woodville years ago was owned by the guy that owned Stimson Lumber. And he was. Uh, going great guns and then he dropped dead and that ended that <laughs> but carnation even today you still talk about carnation farms and they still uh, command respect uh, they had some i think the most they ever milked there at the end was around 400 but uh, most of the time they had about 100 120 pounds i i'd forgotten the fact that boeing farm had milk cows yeah, i'd forgotten and, that yeah yeah. Because when I, what, uh, during my time, when I was growing up, they were known for their Angus yeah. cows, but yeah. uh, Angus. They had, they had Guernsey's. Wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty interesting. But basically, uh, it's down to two, yeah. an industry that has, uh, there's still a plant in Issaquah, isn't that right? That processes the milk? Yes. They, they don't do so much milk. It's all the cultured products. They're, they're one of the largest uh, butter churning places. They, mostly make butter and then there's I think sour cream and uh, 
uh, stuff like that. And Seattle is processing milk. And then uh, Safeway has a big plant in Redmond, but they buy all their milk from Dairy Gold. And you want to know how things have changed. Way back when, the herds averaged maybe 50 cows. And today, the average herd in Washington is up around 700. Wow. So uh, that, that shows you how they're, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right, right. Let's talk just a little bit about the Mignoshi's farm uh, through the years. Uh, you said the typical farm was about 50 cows. When you were growing up, how many cows did your dad milk? We milked around 30, 35. The most we got up to was about 70 a year. And the most I ever milked when we were milking over at Montevilla in uh, uh, Bothell, I got up to 99. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't buy that last one to break 100, huh? I never wanted to milk every last cow in the country. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like to know them. But we did all our own work and that. Why? Mm -hmm. And and uh, the term uh, general farm uh, used a lot by people describing that uh, uh, people a lot of times wouldn't just limit it to dairy. They would have a few chickens and, and other type of things. And that was the case with being no she's true too, right? Yeah. They, my, my grandpa and them, they had <clears throat> the cows. He had a logging camp and then they had chickens and stuff. And then they grew pretty much everything that they, they fed the cows. They grew some grain, oats and stuff like that. They put up their hay in the silage. And most of these guys, that's what they, they grew the majority of it. And when I was growing up, a lot of the guys fed uh, silage from, they made corn silage or grass silage. And then they would buy alfalfa and feed grain. Uh, and then it's evolved now, the guys feed what they call a TMR, which is they mix grain and silage and hay and everything into a mix and then feed them. So they get, and they've got nutritionists and everything else. And so they're getting a lot more milk per cow uh, because of that, but it ain't cheap. No, no. Very expensive way of doing business as yes. opposed to, yes. as opposed to before. Back when Daring was such a king in here in Suquamish Valley and really uh, drove the local economy, there was a thing we called base. And I guess that there still is something similar to base. But back then, base was a, 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 it basically was a regulation. Most of us don't like regulations, but this particular one did benefit the small farmer to a certain degree because it kind of guaranteed that you were going to get a certain amount for your milk. It also was designed to help curb overproduction or underproduction and make a more stable market. Isn't that true? Well, yeah, base, base originally is, okay, if you have, say, a thousand pounds of base, you get paid so much, say say you get $15 a hundred for your base milk and say you're shipping 2,000 pounds. And uh, so a thousand pounds that is gonna be non-base milk, which usually it will be like, say you get $7 on, but you don't have to be a mathematician to figure out that uh, you're pro producing milk for $7 a hundred, you're losing, you're losing your butt. Uh, so that way you'd stay within your your uh, quota, uh, or you'd buy more quota, mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of the way it is now. Uh, of course, quota is a lot more expensive. Up in Canada, they've been doing this for years, and uh, if you don't have quota up there, you're SOL. And uh, 
but up there, the quota is worth, uh, if you're going to start milking cows, it's going to cost you about $25,000 a cow to have quota if you're going to buy it. Now, but you know, they know the price of their milk for years at a time, and they adjust it every year for a certain thing, not much, but you can plan. So if you say, I'm going to build a new setup, I know what the price of milk is out there 10 years. And down here, <clears throat> you don't have a clue. It might be $20 this month and $10 next month. So how are you going to, you want to build a new barn, you you got to figure on the low. Right. And that's what's killing these guys. And, and the bank will also figure on the low if yes. you go to borrow money. Yes. It makes uh, when when we had base here and it was more predictable what the income was, it was easier for farmers to get credit. Uh, the small farmers, because the banks, the local banks uh, yeah. normally left uh, these type of decisions to the local banks of, that had bankers in them that knew the industry somewhat themselves. Uh, everything's gone more corporate now. There's a lot less regulation over the dairy industry. And ironically, you would think that an introduction of more of free market principles would have benefited the small business. But in this particular instance, it didn't. It actually put the family farm out of business. Out of business. And it used to be the local bank knew the good farmer and the bad farmer, and he wouldn't give the money to the bad farmer uh, and stuff. And uh, But things have really, really changed, and it costs so much to get started that the young guy ain't going to start from scratch. You ain't born into it or, or marry into it. Uh, you're pretty much uh, out of luck. Uh, but uh, there's a few that still start up. And there's the Midwest is uh, smaller farms, but they're dropping like flies. Uh, they're just, they, they can't do it. Uh, the feed is so high, uh, the regulations, the taxes, uh, everything. It's just. And unfortunately, it means that because we still do uh, consume milk in this country, uh, it, it unfortunately means that uh, someone, the milk has to come from somewhere. So the farm just continue to get big. Uh, and, you know, personally, that saddens me because yeah. the big corporate farms that have several thousand cows, um, I can tell you that the cows are treated in more of a humane way. I mean, they had names back then. Yes. The people yes. treated their cows with a lot more uh, uh, respect that in, in, the, uh, in those days than they do today. So. Well, a lot of the guys, they were proud of their cows. They really were. They, they were proud of their cattle. They liked them to look good and they, they were proud because they took care of them. And not saying these big outfits don't take care of their cows. Uh, they, they, they do, but, and, but then it comes back to the, the public too. You tell the average person walking down the street in Bellevue and say, you know, there used to be 50, 60 dairies around here. They're all gone. And they'll look at you and go, so what? Right. So what? I see there's still milk on the shelf. <laughs> and as long as there's milk on the shelf, they don't care if it came from a yak in Tibet or Snoqualmie Valley. Some of them might, but most of them, they want a gallon of milk. They're going to the store to get a gallon of milk. And if there isn't one there, then they'll raise hell. But as long as that milk shows up there, they don't care if it comes from Nova Scotia or or wait, as long as there's milk there, that's about all they care. <laughs> well, uh, 
it's been a lot of changes to the valley because of the demise of uh, the uh, dairy industry, where we only have two really operating dairy farms uh, now. There was a lot of labor involved back in those days and other industries. We'll talk about a few of those when we come back from a break. So just in a couple of minutes, we'll resume a talk about the history of dairy farming in the Snoqualmie Valley. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest eclectic music. Hi, I'm Seth Shostak, and I'm an actual scientist, although I don't wear a white lab coat. Maybe a straight jacket. I'm Molly Bentley. I'm a science journalist, and we are your hosts on Big Picture Science, bringing you the latest from the labs every week. So join us Thursdays at 6 p.m. for the coolest in science and technology, Big Picture Science. That's Thursdays at 6 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Okay, welcome back, folks. Uh, we're back here at the Mignoshi Farm. You'll be, be able to hear there's occasional moo and cows drinking out of the trough. And this stanchions is a clicking. stanchions clicking. The sound you hear, you have metal uh, clickings. The cows are all uh, in here eating away. George, uh, we were talking a little bit about how dairying has changed so much to where we only have two operating farms uh, now in the valley. You know, I remember back, there was a lot of surrounding the farm. It just wasn't the dairy farmer and his family. Uh, there was a lot of people employed because of the dairy industry and a whole different variety of, uh, of uh, occupations. There was the feed mills. There was the uh, milk tester. Yeah. Uh, just... It, for people, because I can guarantee you that a lot of people that are listening to this, if not, don't even know what that is. What was a milk tester? Well, the milk tester, if you were on test, they came around once a month and they weighed the milk from each cow, took a sample, and then you kept a running total uh, for the year of that cow's production. So you knew if she was paying or not paying, or if she was above average or below average. And then you got back the results of the butterfat test. That was the percent of butterfat in her milk. Uh, so if you, you didn't want a real low testing cow, you'd breed to do a bull with a higher test. So you knew what she was given for production. And then you had uh, the milk truck drivers. A lot of them were retired dairymen that went to work for the creamery to uh, haul milk. You had the uh, AI technician when you were breeding cows artificial. They were breeding the cows. It was two or three uh, companies doing that. You had the supply guy that came around. There was Western Farmers, uh, there was Cenex, there was all kinds of those that were going from farm to farm selling supplies, uh, medicine, uh, machinery, whatever. They had the machinery sales in Monroe. You had uh, the equipment, Massey Ferguson dealer down there that supplied damn near everybody in the valley with a tractor. Uh, they were uh, a big, all of the machinery dealers. Uh, then the people that were around shopped in their community here at Garnation, you had a couple grocery stores, a hardware store, all kinds of things, and people shopped there. So, yeah, and Miller's Dry Goods, uh, they bought all their stuff there. So there was, uh, and some of these smaller towns had car dealerships. Uh, uh, so everything that went, went along with, uh, with the dairy industry, and uh, people shopped local, did things local, and you had to have supplies and everything, but uh, it, they're fewer and fewer of them. They're gone. Right. Because there's just not the same amount of people that are working here or 
or no shortage of people living here. No, but they but those people uh, usually commuted from a more populated place where they've been able to stop by and get their provisions. And the amount of people actually working on the farms, of course, well, the farms are non-existent. And back in those days, when there was operating dairy farms, almost every dairy farmer had a hired hand. Yeah. A lot of times some of the bigger ones had two or three different milkers and people that helped out in the fields and things like this. Uh, like we talk about the, uh, um, the, the milk testers and other people associated with the veterinarians. Um, uh, the, the whole industry drove a lot of different industries. And in the summertime, uh, all these farms hired uh, lots of kids to put up hay and do things like that. And that's how a lot of these kids made their, uh, summer money and, and things like that. So, I mean, it was a, a, a well-run machine. It's kind of, kind of like you got the, the coyote out here or whatever, and he's got an abundant supply of rabbits, mice, and weasels, <laughs> and all of a sudden they disappeared. Well, all of a sudden the coyote, you got a hungry oh, coyote. Shit, I got to move. <laughs> I got to go someplace else, and he's gone. And that's the way the dairy farmer, uh, the, the farmers have, have left and all these uh, support outfits that went with them, they have vanished. Now, you can't go in a store nowadays without seeing the organic food section. Oh, yeah. There's a organic food and there's a big drive for natural foods and organic foods and everything else like that. So you think that the same would be expected about uh, with the dairy and milk uh, supplies. I'm sure that there's some that are labeled to be organic, but really the uh, as far as uh, um, producing milk and selling it locally there's some real hassles about being able to do that uh, back uh, uh, is that not true in the way of regulations and things like that yes if you're selling raw milk uh, you gotta have license and insurance and everything else I mean you're really sticking your neck out here for raw milk. And of course, the guys that are doing it, most of them are doing a pretty good job. They got to test these cows all the time to make sure that they're uh, disease free and all this and that, the, the leukocytes, which is uh, uh, white blood cells in their system and not high and uh, uh, all that. So you can do it, but it is really a, a hassle. Now, the ones that sell milk, what we call jug their own milk, that pasteurize it, and sell it, then that's not so uh, restrictive, but it's a lot of work. Uh, when when you're shipping milk and you put that milk, you milk that cow and she goes in the bulk tank and the milk truck comes every other day and picks it up and takes it into the plant and they process it, you don't have to worry about it once it leaves your tank. Uh, and, but now if you're gonna chug milk, that milk just keeps coming in that tank every day. So now you gotta have the whole creamery setup which is not cheap and either you're going to do it or have somebody else do it and it takes a lot of labor you got to jug that milk and get it sold and if you're going to sell it on the place that's fine people come and get it or if you're going to take it around the stores and deliver it that gets to be quite a hassle but there's guys that uh, do it smith brothers used to do it big time but uh, they still bottle their milk but smith brothers they don't milk no cows anymore. And a lot of people don't have to figure this out. They buy their milk from Dairy Gold and fill up their bottle and put their <laughs> name on it. So basically, there's one place to sell your milk, and that is Dairy Gold, Dairy Gold, or Dairy Gold. <laughs> hey, changing your subject just a little bit, uh, bring a little bit of history into this. When your dad and even his father 
uh, uh, farmed here. Uh, it was, they milk by hand. Yep. The uh, milking machines, if you will, that went through all different kind of evolution uh, to become more and more sophisticated. But the very first milk machines probably were introduced to most herds around here in about what year, would you say? I think you can go back into the 20s and find machines, but I think it probably came in to play late 30s, 40s, something like that. And all of them were bucket machines. So you had a bucket that sat on the floor and you milked the cow, the milk went into the bucket. Then you took that bucket of milk to the milk house and they dumped it in cans. And then, uh, well, it ran through a cooler and a strainer, and then it went into cans, and then they set that in a water bath to cool it. And then I can remember the can truck would come and pick up your cans of milk, and then they, they'd leave off empty cans. And then in about the 50s, uh, they started, milk tanks started coming in, and they started eliminating the cans. And then you, uh, a lot of the guys still milking in the stanchion barn, the cows came in and went in the stanchion and milked. But then they started putting in pipelines in the barns. So then you milked into the pipeline, it went out through the strainer and into the milk tank and was cooled. Then the milk truck came every other day and picked up the milk. And then they went from that, they started putting in parlors, milking parlors where the cow walked in and she'd be on either side of you and you were kind of down in a pit. So you didn't have to bend over to put the machine on. And uh, they had what we call side overs. Each cow had her own stall. Well, then they went to the herringbone. So the cows came in and kind of stood on an angle and you could get uh, five, six on a side or even now they got double thirties and forties, uh, the herringbone. Uh, and then they went what they called the rapid exit. So when that cow standing there, the stanchion right in front of her just opened up and they just walked out so they could get them in and out faster. And then they went to the rotary. It's like a merry-go-round where only the cows facing in. And they're huge. Some of them you know, 60, 70, 100 cow rotaries. And now they're up to the robot. So the old cow can come up there. It averages out about three times a, a day. She gets milk and she comes up, goes in, puts the machine on her automatically, milks her out, tells you everything about her life history while she's there. <laughs> <laughs> and out she goes. And uh, it's, they even have a full robotic feeding system nerve scraping everything i mean it'll but even today those uh, the price of those oh. things are uh, uh those can't be used by your average uh, small farm i mean it takes a big farm to well they're about I, and look, they're changing the price but they're around 200 250 a unit and a unit can milk approximately 60 cows so you didn't have to be good in math to figure out if you're milking 600, you're going to need about 10 of these <laughs> and you're going to be up around $2 million just for the machines. Uh, so, I mean, they, they work really well, but I mean, they're not cheap. So that's just amazing. So totally robotic, but you know, the price and uh, of labor is just not the hourly rate, all the liability and the uh, uh, risk that you take on. Because, um, you know, uh, life on the farm can be dangerous and uh, having hired help sometimes can be extremely costly. And so this is where it's all going is now we have robots milking cows. I never thought it ever. When I first actually heard the, that being suggested, I kind of tend to 
think that I'm a forward thinking person and can kind of vision that. But I mean, I thought at first it was kind of George Jetson type of, you know, but it's here. It's here. The cows do like it. it it's very calm and uh, they just walk in there and. Because uh, they, they enter this thing at their own free will. Their own free will. And, and for those of you that don't know what a dairy cow goes through, I mean, they do have. Uh, some stress on them when they're producing milk and this is kind of like getting relieved you know they uh so they benefit from the more frequent milking and uh, uh so it's a uh, it's here and it's probably not going to go away it's going to be expanding quite well, a bit well with the labor situation that's one of the big thing canada there's a lot of them up there hey so we're getting close to time now just wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, you've spent your whole life on the farm uh, what are some of the things you've enjoyed the most about about well, this way of life? I've always liked it because you're, you're, you're your own boss. I like being outside. It's nice. And I like, I've always liked cows and they like breeding them. Uh, I, we've always had pretty much registered cows and it's fun to figure out a mating and you hope that uh, if you breed this bull to this cow, you're going to get this and you're always trying. It's kind of like Christmas when they calf because it, it's a surprise. You hope it, it turns out what you liked. And then we've shown and uh, our, our daughters are showing. And I've always said to the kids that if you really like these cows and you take care of them and show them and whatever, they'll take you all over the world. They'll take you any place you want to go. And uh that uh, Lena, the youngest one, she was national Jersey queen. And uh, she, from being from the West, and she wasn't built like a little fairy. And uh, <laughs> I told her, I said, you've got about a snowball's chance in hell being national Jersey queen. But she was, and it was because of her cows. And uh, they, they learned public speaking through 4-H and everything else. And Anne Marie manages World Dairy Expo. Uh, and uh, she, they, they'll have about 2,500 cows there for the show, and uh, and it's because of these cows. They they got, but you gotta love them. You gotta love them because <laughs> if you don't, they command what you do. And and my wife said to me when have we hadn't been married that long, and I told her before we got married, I said, I'm not trying to be smart, but. If you don't want to play second fiddle to a cow, you better run like hell because they'll tell you what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, and how we're going to do it. And she said one time, she said, just once, she said, I'd like to be able to get there on time and not have to hurry up and get done so we can get home to milk. <laughs> and that's the way it is. But now, with the help and everything else, it's not quite so bad. But you still, I don't care if you're milking 5,000 or 50, you you. If you're going to do it, you gotta, you gotta love it. You gotta like it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a, a I'm, I'm, I've been able to witness this firsthand. I've known George for a long time. He used to uh, uh, entertain me for hours on end when I would come down here. I just found a dairy farming fascinating, and had my own career at uh, Carnation Farms for a while, and thoroughly loved it. It is a, it is a different way of life. It kind of saddens me that so much of it seems to be. Uh, disappearing or going through some transformations that are kind of hard to uh kind of hard to witness but uh um but uh there's a lot of good memories there and i appreciate george you're 
uh, opportunity of sitting down and sharing some of those today. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it too. And some people want to come down sometime and get a cow. <laughs> they can. <laughs> so George Mignoshi and Carnation uh, Washington. So, hey folks, so that's it for, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, uh, please listen in next week while we further uh, explore the history of the Sofong Valley. Thanks folks.